You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. So I heard about this guy one time, uh, this is a man or woman, a leader of an organization, had a staff meeting around a conference table. And so they introduced this, uh, this exercise to their team this way, today, today only, we're all firemen. We fight fires. That's what we do. One day only firemen. And so he goes around the room and he says, hey, uh, so hey, you, you drive the fire engine and you, you break down the doors and you, you deploy the ladders. And you, you spray the water. Okay, guys, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I, I, I drive the fire engine. And what do you do? Well, I, I break down the doors. What do you do? Well, I deploy the ladders. And what do you do? Well, I spray the water. No, he says. That's not what you do. We are firemen. We fight fires. That's what we do. And I thought that's just a great illustration because that's exactly what the church is all about. We fight fires. We make disciples. That's what we do. Somebody says, hey, what do you do at the church? Do you serve at Grace Church? Yeah, I, I serve with the ministries there. I, I serve in the parking lot. No, no, I serve with Grace kids or Grace students. I, I serve with special needs. I, I love serving one of our local outreaches. Hey, I take global missions trips. Hey, I serve on the worship team. I'm part of the, I'm part of the gre- greeters, the ushers. No, we are all disciple makers. We're firemen. We fight fires. We literally go and, and go border the fires of hell and pull people out of judgment and help them learn how to become a follower of Jesus. As we do, we fight fires. We make disciples. That's what we do. The question is, are there any best practices? That's Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We are disciple makers. That's why you live and breathe. Are there any best practices and worst practices we can know as firemen? As people that fight fires, that we make disciples, yes, that's our topic today. We're going to be in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you want to open your Bible apps with me, First Thessalonians 2 or your Bibles. Our ushers do have Bibles, and you can raise your hand, get a hold of those, a Bible if you'd like. You can raise your hand. I do want to welcome those of you who are online uh, right now. Community, welcome, guys, online. Those of you at our Latha campus, welcome. Those at our Overland Park campus right now in the venue. We are relaunching our venue, excited for that, at 9 through 11 service, a different worship environment, and welcome those in the auditorium uh, as well. And I want to encourage you, uh, go ahead and right now tear off in all of our locations, tear off your Connect card right now. Tear it off and, and fill out your household information, prayer requests. We want to pray for you. If you want to know where you start next at Grace, register for the next Next Step class. You can place this in the buckets a little later on when we uh, receive our offering. All right. We're in a series right now, it's called The Pioneer Spirit, and it does take a pioneer spirit to make disciples. Just like pioneers, we're entering new territory, there is higher risk, you need the pioneer spirit to actually make disciples. And so here's where we left off last week, two quick pictures. This is a picture of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul and Silas are on a mission trip from the church at Antioch, and their goal was to visit and support new church plants that they planted, and also plant new ones as well. Why? New churches and new sites are better at making new disciples. 
And all of us, whether you're at an existing campus or an existing church or at a new campus or new church, we all got to get better at making disciples. It's why we live and breathe. Now, here's a picture of what this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is all about. Uh, and I produced this next map from a website I didn't know still existed called MapQuest. It actually exists. So I went there, and, uh, and I created a picture of Greece. That's, that's actually northern Greece, southern Greece. Let me tell you what 1 Thessalonians is about. On the bottom of that photo where the green bubble is, that is the city of Corinth. That's where the three church planters, Paul, single guys, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, are located. In the north side of Greece is a city called Thessalonica. That's where their young church plant is at. And according to MapQuest, that's a 329-mile drive which would take you 329 miles, five hours and 40 minutes to drive. If you walked that as they would have in Paul's day, if you walked eight hours every day, it would take you over 15 days to make that journey. But I want you to look at that map, by the way. The paths of the roads and walking paths have not changed significantly since the days of Paul. Like that would be the path that Timothy would have walked, Paul and Silas would have walked as well. All right, let's fast forward now. Paul, Silas, and Timothy planted that church in the northern side of Greece. There's a riot that we saw in Acts 17 that kicked them out of that area. They left this young church plant. They actually were in southern part of Greece. They're worried for this young church plant. And so they actually sent Timothy, one man uh, visiting. He actually traveled north, visited them, came back with word from Thessalonica. After Timothy gives them news. The three of those guys sit down, they write this letter, 1 Thessalonians, as a response for Timothy to take this thing back to them. And they wrote this within 20 years of Jesus' ministry and his resurrection. Uh, That'd be like us writing about 1997. Who can remember things in 1997? It's too far ago. I mean, who remembers Y2K craziness? No one can remember Y2K so long ago. That's how close Y2K to us is like Jesus' ministry and resurrection to them. Like, that's, that's how close it was. And so it's an amazing historic document we have in First Thessalonians. Last week, we talked about how do you make a disciple. A disciple is a learner who follows. So what is a disciple? Somebody who's imitating you, learning from you. How do you pray? Okay, I'll try that. Like, how do you read the Bible? Okay, I'll try that. How do you follow God? How do you hear from God? I'll try to do that. Like, they're just imitating learning from you. That's a disciple, learning how to follow Jesus. Last week, we said there's three steps you do in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 to make a disciple. It starts with our prayers. We beg God, bring a disciple, someone I can invest in. You pray for people, you need a disciple. I pray for their hearts. It starts with our prayers. Then, people become followers of us, imitators, learners of us. And then, the word of God comes from you to a third generation. That's like, that's how you make disciples. Today is about best practices and some funny worst practices that Paul's going to talk about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to give you another phrase to look for. We're going to read a few verses, talk about it, give a larger principle, some best and worst practices of disciple making. It's why we exist. We're firemen. We fight fires. We have the pioneer spirit. There is risk And there's great reward. Let's go ahead and pray and ask God for wisdom. Lord, we come to you and we do pray that you just do an incredible work in our church. At both our Olathe campus, our Overland Park campus, help us to all get better. 
at why you made us, of making disciples at work, and making disciples at school, and making disciples in our family, making disciples among our friends, making disciples in our neighborhoods and on our teams. That's what you made us for. And we do pray that you bring us people that want to learn, want to get closer to Jesus, and we pray you'd help us to learn some best practices and worst practices to avoid. God, that Jesus, you might be lifted up. Help us so that our calling is firemen. We fight fires. We make disciples. It's what we do. Help us to develop people spiritually, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, first phrase to look for in your notes is the phrase, even after. You can write down, mark it down. The first phrase we look for in the first couple of verses is the phrase, even after. And Paul here and Silas and Timothy are talking about a horrible treatment they received at the city of Philippi. And they said, even after being mistreated, we didn't back off. We courageously tried with you at Thessalonica, 100 miles away. Even after a bad experience, we tried again. Ever, ever been to a restaurant and you had a bad experience and you're like, this is, this is horrible. And you're like, I'm done with res- this restaurant. I'm done. Do you also say, I'm done with restaurants. I hate all restaurants. No, no, no. So you have a bad experience with your ex, like ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Like, I'm done. You say, women are losers. Men are idiots. No, people often have the courage to try again. It happens with churches. There are people, and this is a serious thing, there are people in the Kansas City area that have been deeply wounded by churches and leaders. And that might be you. You're sitting right here in one of our locations, and you know it. And that church, that leader hurts you so deeply, and even after, it is so important not to let that person still control you, stop what God's doing. They were wrong. You shouldn't be a slave to what they did to you in the past, my goodness. Paul's talking about that here in verse 1. He says, if you're a disciple maker, it is risky, and it's going to hurt sometimes. Verse 1, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. He says, guys, you know that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these three-person church planting team, it was not a waste of time. God did great things with our visit. You guys know that's true. Verse 2, but even after, there's our phrase to mark, highlight, circle, even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel, the good news of God in much conflict in your city. And so it's hard to get your mind wrapped around this. I want you to imagine you're part of the, this church planting team. There's four people. There's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and you. You're a part of that team. And so you went to Philippi with the best of intentions. You share the good news of Jesus. How were you treated on this missions trip? Okay, so you're falsely accused. And you can deal with that. A mob comes around you and grabs you. That's a hard one. They strip your clothes off. They take rods and they beat you with rods over. You are beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten and beaten. And you're a wreck physically. We're trying to share good news of Jesus. Then, no medical attention. They throw you in jail and they lock your feet in the stocks. Like that was a missions trip report. I think we would understand 
if you were like, I'm done with mission trips. I am done. But Paul said, even after being wounded, we didn't let that past hurt stop us from following God. In fact, where'd they, where'd they find the courage? It wasn't in them. They said, we were bold in our God. The reason we tried again with you was we had this boldness in God that wasn't our boldness. God was still in charge. He's bigger than them. He's bigger than the hurt. He's bigger than you. We were bold in our God to speak to you the good news of God in much conflict. It was hard with you guys too. Uh, Triggers are happening. We're remembering the past. It is really, really hard. It leads to this larger principle for us as disciple makers. We need to make sure we are not, you can write this down, we are not letting our past stop us from making disciples. We need to make sure. Because we're firemen, we fight fires. We cannot let somebody else control us today when they messed up or maybe we were the one that messed up. Are you letting your past hinder you from making disciples? So maybe a church really hurts you. This leader really hurts you. And you're a part of the Grace Church family. And there's a time to be a part of the family and heal up. That's awesome. It's, we're a hospital. And there's a time that you recover. And you're healthy enough to serve. And you choose not to. I get it. You don't want to get hurt. I get it. But are you letting your past, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, even after getting hurt, we tried again. Boy, that's awesome. Sometimes you find people who, their own mistakes in the past, like they messed up. It's not somebody else. It's their, and they're like, I I did too much. It's too hard. What I did, I'm not, are you letting your mistakes in the past hinder you from being a fireman? You're here to fight fires to make disciples. What stops people? It's fear, fear of hurting again. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this, 29, 25. The fear of man, the fear of being hurt again, brings a snare. Okay, so if you're afraid of future pain, your foot is snared. It's in a cord. And when your foot's in a cord, a snare, you can't walk. You can't go anywhere. Fear snares you. Fear pins you. Fear makes you a slave. How do you get out of that? How do you find freedom? Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Like if you believe God is as big as he really is, it shrinks the size of your problems and your future pain. He's going to be there. Solomon wrote, whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote, we were bold in our God. Guess what, guys? We must not let our past hinder us from making disciples. That's giving our past too much control. That person has too much control over us. Okay, let's go to the next phrase to be looking for. And these are some bad practices, some worse practices. And the phrase is, did not. Paul lists eight things that he did not do. Those are dumb moves, bonehead moves. Did not, did not, did not, did not. Eight worse practices for communication. Eight worse practices for making disciples. And uh, there are a lot of, guys, you know there's a lot of bad ways to make disciples. There's a lot of bad ways to share the good news of Jesus. A lot of bad ways out there. There's a guy named Mark in California. I was at a small church in Redwood City, California. And I'd been a Christian for all of two or three months. I mean, I I didn't know anything. I'm a brand new Christian. 
So I'm in this little lobby of this little church, and Mark knew the Bible. Mark wanted a disciple. Mark was passionate, and Mark was in my face. And so I'm in the lobby. I'm kind of pinned up. He's looking up, and, kind of, and he's angry. He's angry with me. He's like, hey, do you not know the one thing Peter said not to forget? Peter said one thing, one thing only, don't be ignorant. Don't, do you not know the one thing Peter said never to forget, never be ignorant of? And I, I'm like, dude, I'm lucky I know that Peter exists. The one thing not to forget? And I'll, I'll give it to you. It's 2 Peter 3, 8. So if you're curious, you're like, hey, I'd like to know the one thing Peter said uh, not to forget. That'd be a good thing too. But I can tell you what it did to me, what, what Mark did to me. Even though he had truth, I didn't want to hear it. And I purposely avoided Mark after that because there are many bad ways to communicate, many bad ways to share the good. It's supposed to be good news. Didn't feel like good news, but like bad news. And so here, let's look at the eight things that are worst practices. In verse three, you see three of these temptations. Verse three says this. For our exhortation did not, there it is, did not come from error. Okay, this is not a good way to, to make disciples, giving wrong information about God of the Bible. There is a temptation, by the way, to say something different than God says because you don't like it. You want to water it down. You're fearful they won't like it. That's not a good thing. That's error. But it's a healthy thing for me and you that we don't like everything that God says. That's an awesome thing. If you don't like something that's in the Bible, that's good for you because it proves you are not God. God is God. And if you believe everything God does, you're God. And so he, the first thing you start with error. Okay, I, I told you the truth. That, that's a worse practice, changing what God says because I don't like it or you may not like it. Here's another worse practice, number two, verse three, or uncleanness. Having wrong motives as you disciple, impure motives. Number three, nor was it in deceit. You can't make a disciple by deceiving them. Or tricking them. Okay, here, if you do this, do this. Aha, gotcha! You're a disciple. You can't stop. Bait and switch. You can't trick somebody into being a disciple. Deceive them. You got to be honest with them. Verse 4, another worst practice. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. I mean, God has trusted us with the good news. Not with angels not with nature, not speaking directly. He trusted us with the good news. That's his plan. Here's number four. Even so, we speak not, number four, as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. This is wanting to be liked more than God liking you, wanting to please men. At some point when you disciple, you're going to have a choice. Do I please my disciple or do I please God? And that priority face-off, it's not about pleasing men. It is about pleasing God. You can't make a disciple while wanting them to like everything you say. Number five is in verse five. Another worst practice. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know. Okay, using flattery, false praise, buttering up, brown nosing. You can, oh, you are the, I'd love to be your disciple because you are the most wonderful, amazing, smart, beautiful, handsome. Uh, you are, you are God's gift to this kingdom, man. You are, you can't flatter somebody into being a disciple. Nor, he says, want something from them. Number six. Nor a cloak for covetousness. A cloak 
hiding your greed, God is witness, covetousness. You can't want to get something for your disciple, from your disciple and disciple them. Like, so if you're trying to disciple them to get something because you're covetous, you're greedy, boy, I'd love to get a hold of their money or access to their timeshare or their contacts or their network. I would love to get something from them. That's why I'm discipling them. You can't be greedy and disciple them. Verse six is the final two. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Okay, you can't make a disciple for the goal of getting the credit, getting the glory, wanting people to say, wow, you're just amazing. You're awesome. You're the man. You're the woman. You can't do that and be a discipler. It's about God being pleased with you, not others. And verse 6, here's the last one. Here comes my friend Mark in the lobby in Redwood City, California. When we might have made demands, demanding they become a disciple as apostles of Christ. You can't use just authority and position and judgment to get someone to follow God. Like to make demands. No, no, you pick up the cross yourself and follow. There's the call of that discipleship. There's the choice of being a follower of Jesus. And so here's the larger principle. Those are eight worst practices. Here's the principle, the best practice for us though. We need to be guarding the truth and our hearts as we disciple. Guarding the truth and guarding our hearts as we disciple. By the way, if you're, if you're a pioneer spirit, if you're going to new territory with new souls and new, uh, new converts and new disciple, realize Satan, he is not going to give up that territory, that new pioneer territory uncontested. He's going to oppose you. And so of these eight things, look at these eight things. We think about them. The very first one was the truth. Don't make a disciple in error. You're going to be tempted to water down, to soften it, or to to say something. Because you don't like it. You don't agree with it. You hope you know they don't like it. So you want to say something different than God says. Only one is the truth. And for the next seven things, rounding out the eight worst practices, he says, guard the truth. And guard, guard the truth. Guard your heart. Guard your motives. Guard your heart. Guard your motives. Guard your heart. Guard your motives. Guard your heart. We have to guard the truth and our hearts. Knowing this is a battle, knowing the battle will be in here, if you become a threat spiritually and you're actually making disciples, having influence in a positive way, it's what the Bible says over in, uh, back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16, Paul and Timothy had broken up the church planting team. Paul, uh, Timothy's a pastor now, 1 Timothy 4, 16 says this, Paul says, take heed to yourself, that's your heart, and to the doctrine, there's the truth. Continue in them, for in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Guys, Paul says, I did not, we did not, we did not, we, we, we did not do these things. We guarded with you the truth, and we guarded our hearts. And Satan will tempt you with the wrong motives. We've got to guard that like a hawk. All right, the last couple of phrases are all parenting metaphors. And this gets to the heart of what discipleship is all about, making disciples. It's becoming a spiritual parent. Here's the first metaphor you're going to see. As a nursing mother. You can write down the phrase, as a nursing mother. And this is the benefit of our practice. We always have a sermon review before uh, someone speaks. Anybody who speaks, including me, it's awesome. We have a team of people that gather from... Uh, and just kind of give some feedback. And, and my original statement after this moment was this. I kid you not. I said, hey, guys, just look 
look at nursing moms. And there's a guy, one of the guys went, that's, you know, accidentally creepy to direct people to be staring at nursing moms. That's kind of gross. Um, and so I said, good point. I want you to think conceptually about nursing moms for a second. Just, just think about the concept in general for just a second. <laughs> and the amazing thing about this passage is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, three tough as nails, single guys. These guys got beat up. They are as tough as anybody at Grace Church. Got beat up, thrown in jail. And even after, try it again. Tough as nails, three single guys. Now they, they say this, I kid you not. You know what we're like with you? We're like nursing moms. We're as gentle with you as nursing moms. I mean, that, that, that's what we are. Nursing moms. Look what he says here. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother. There you circle, highlight this phrase. That's what being a discipler is. It's being like a nursing mother and an involved father. Here's the nursing mother metaphor. Gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You ever seen a nursing mom handle her newborn, her little one, with the delicate fingers and the delicate neck? And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, I kid you not, yeah, we were so gentle. They were. That does crack me up too. They had the affection of a nursing mom. Three single guys. You ever seen a nursing mom look at her baby? And you, just see, you can see the affection there. Paul, Silas, and Timothy said, when we look at the church, we look with that same love and affection. Verse, verse 8, so affectionately longing for you. That's how a grace group leader looks at their grace group. With the affection of a nursing mom to their child. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you'd become dear to us. There's an affection you sense when you actually are engaging in discipleship. You have affection for them and you labor for them. The labor of a nursing mom. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day. Is that not like a nursing mom getting up in the middle of the night? You ever seen the, kind of seen the haggard blank, zombie-like stare of a nursing mom begging God for their baby to sleep through the night, you know, and they're, but they're there because a nursing mom is not on her own schedule. She's on their baby's schedule. And Paul says, yeah, that, that kind of fatigue and effort, that's what we had as a discipler. We engaged, he says, night and day in verse 9, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Paul, Silas, and Timothy said, we had the gentleness and affection, hard work. As the disciples, three single guys, no kids, of a nursing mom. And we also had the involvement of an involved father. That's the other phrase to write down. Write down the phrase, as a father. Now he shifts the metaphor over to an involved dad. What do involved dads do? They build bridges in their kids' lives to their hearts. They carry the responsibility. They try to prepare them for the future. And that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy were doing. Here in verse uh, 10, you see the behavior, the role model that an involved father is for a child. That's what these disciples were doing. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. 
You are witnesses of our behavior. They were role models as, a, as an involved father in three different areas. He says, we, you saw our devout behavior. What's devout behavior? That means, that means deeply committed spiritually. You saw, I mean, you, you watched how deeply committed spiritually we were. And then he says, how justly we behaved. You saw how fair we were. Even when we didn't like it, we were always fair. You saw how blamelessly we behaved ourselves. People blamed us, but the blame never stuck. We were blameless. Blame doesn't stick. So they had this, this involved father, this role model, but they also had the words. Involved fathers at some point share actual words to mentor, disciple their kids. And these guys are engaging in that. Verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father. There it is. Circle, highlight, mark it down. As a father does his own children. So what are the words that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were using as an involved father, discipler, spiritually? Exhorted. What does exhorted mean? It literally in Greek means to call beside, to come alongside someone and encourage them, urge them. Your disciples need to hear you believe in them. I believe in you. You can do this. You can absolutely do this. They need to hear you believe in them. Exhorted. And comforted. Involve fathers comfort their children. Involve disciples comfort their disciples. That's slowing down and, and relating to their story and saying, listen, I get it. It hurts. I hurt with you. But God has a better future. Here's how I've navigated my difficult times. The comfort that an involved father offers. And the charge. A word that literally means, in Greek, it's martyr. It means to witness, bear witness. There are times that involved dads say, this is the truth. And I may not even like it. And you may not even like it. But it's still the truth. Charged as a father to his own children. Then you see the vision casting in verse 12, the vision casting, that you would, in the future, walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were parenting like an involved father, knowing they're not the real dad. God is their real father. God the father, they're only temporary parents, the temporary disciples. That leads to this thought, if you're taking notes, by the way, this thought. We need to make sure we are embracing that discipleship is spiritual parenthood. Discipleship is actually spiritual parenthood. And these three single guys with no wives and no kids are having spiritual children. They're discipling. You see, teaching is different than discipling. They're both important. Teaching, uh, teachers are responsible to teach. Disciples are responsible for life. Teachers communicate information. Disciples, parents, communicate transformation. Teachers can walk away. Parents can't walk away. And teaching is hard and it's important and it's a spiritual gift. Parenting is harder. Discipling is harder. And that's what Paul said to his disciple Timothy, in, or actually said uh, in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. He says, everybody wants to be a Bible teacher. It's fun to be Rick Warren. Uh, it's fun. Uh, yeah, it's fun to be Rick Warren. Beth Moore. Oh, I, I was with Beth Moore. That's awesome. But you can teach and walk away. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ... 10,000 people will want to be the next Beth Moore, next Rick Warren. Yet you do not have many fathers, disciples. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Guys, 
It's about embracing the fact that discipleship is spiritual parenthood. And I've had multiple parents over the last couple of weeks make this comment unsolicited. I think that parenting is the hardest job I've ever had. And I'm agreeing. Like, parenting is the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Let me tell you something else also. It's the hardest job I've ever had, discipling. It's the hardest thing I've ever had. I agonize over it. It's like I don't do a good job sometimes. I remember principles I should be applying. I go back to my disciples, my grace group, say, guys, I'm sorry, I've kind of done this. I need to get better at this. Discipling others is the hardest job you'll ever do. It takes the pioneer spirit. We fight fires. We are firefighters. We make disciples. It's what we do. And by the way, you do it. You, whether it's parenting or discipling, you do it because it's so worth it. That's what you are made for. You're made for that. And when you bring up issues like parenting or children or discipling or your spiritual mentors, that can be a painful topic for a variety of reasons. And this might be the week you need prayer because you have, you're starting to realize, you have let your past stop you from making disciples. Legitimate reasons, real hurt. Maybe you did the thing. Maybe somebody else did it to you, but they're still controlling you today, and that should not be. And this is the week you need some prayer for freedom. Our prayer teams after the service are going to be here. See, there's some best and worst practices. We do not do those things in communication so people can actually hear the truth. It's about embracing the fact that it's really hard, but we fight fires. When the fire comes up and the firemen, they rush toward the danger, not away from it. And when disciples do, they rush toward the difficult conversations, not away from it. We're there to fight fires. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I want to thank you for this example of Paul and Silas and Timothy, these three three single guys. Um, They're an incredible example for us that the focus, whether you're married or whether you're single like Jesus and single like Paul, single like Timothy, God, the focus, the focus is on making disciples. In every venue of our life. It's the, it's the Great Commission. I ask you again, help us to get better at making disciples. I ask you to bring us disciples. Or if we need to be disciples, bring someone in our life to mentor us, to reach out and say, hey, would you teach me how you walk with God, how you pray, to find mentors or mentor others. God, please, to make disciples. And if somebody is worshiping right now, or hearing right now, and they've never surrendered to you. Jesus, may they surrender in prayer to you. May they pray to you, Jesus, right now. May they pray, surrender. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. I give you my life, my future, my heart, everything I am and have, it's yours. May they pray right now, Jesus, I place my faith in the resurrection of Christ, your death and resurrection. May they pray this, forgive me of my sins, the sins that you paid for at the cross that I could never pay for. And adopt me into your family as your child. Please, Lord, help them to surrender to you in prayer right now.
We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.